Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 149, Letting Go of the Rope. Hi, I'm Neil. The past few weeks have been extremely busy, and it all started with WWDC earlier this month. Each year, I come out of WWDC with a few key themes, things that I saw either in the keynote or just taking a look at the broader conference. And this year, I think we had things like Apple Watch truly declaring independency from iPhone. We're not quite there just yet, but you could start to see where things are really headed here. We had privacy, one of the major themes from this year's keynote. I don't think that's too surprising given what has been going on in the broader landscape. Of course, the new Mac Pro, and I actually think the broader story of iPad versus Mac. Over the past few weeks, I've been thinking about this year's WWDC, and it occurred to me that this year's conference and the keynote felt different. Every WWDC keynote is filled to the brim with new features. That's not what was surprising or different this year. Instead, we had highly anticipated items like the new Mac Pro. Differentiated iPad software features. Those are things that many people have been waiting for, I would say, for years. There were also genuine surprises. Swift UI. I think it's a very big deal. Wide-ranging implications for Apple's ecosystem. When we look at the grand vision behind Apple's product development, I don't think there was any significant change announced at WWDC. However, there does appear to be a noteworthy change to Apple's product strategy. And that is going to be the topic for today's episode. Apple had been following a product strategy that can be thought of as a pull system. The company was most aggressive with the products capable of making technology more relevant and personal. And for the past few weeks, I've been trying to think of how to conceptualize this. How to think about a pool system when it comes to products. And I think one of the easiest and most effective ways to conceptualize in this product strategy is to think of every major Apple product category being attached to a rope. The order in which these products were attached to the rope was determined by the degree to which technology was made more personal by that device. So we can look at workflows, the processes for getting work done. We could go so far as to say we can look at the design found with each major product category because that plays a major role in how that product can push technology forward, how it can make it more personal, more intuitive. When we talk about making technology more personal, I'm not just saying, well, you're using the product yourself or you're, you're using it on your body. That's not what I mean by making it more personal. And so we're talking about reducing the barriers to technology, and that lets us get more out of technology without having technology take over our lives. It's a key part of Apple's product vision. Accordingly, when we think of this rope, Apple Watch and iPhone were located on the end of the rope held by Apple management. 
Meanwhile, you had Mac desktops located at the other end of the row. What was in the middle? iPads and Mac portables. Now, over at AboveAvalon.com, in this week's article, Apple's product strategy is changing. I included a table that depicts Apple's pool strategy. And I think this is the strategy that Apple is relying on prior to 2018. At first, when you look at this exhibit, everything seems orderly. <laughs> I have Apple Watch on one side. I have a picture of an iMac on the other. I have arrows in between product categories that was representing a rope. And so it seemed like what was happening was Apple would pull on the rope and all of the product categories moved in sync with each other. That's not really what was going on. In reality, the quicker Apple management pulled on this rope, the more chaotic the end of the rope moved. And so what I did was I created another exhibit that I think did a much better job at demonstrating what I would call chaos at the end of the rope. I think that's the best way of describing this. And so, yeah, you would have Apple Watch and iPhone located on the rope, the part that Apple was holding on to. But at the end, you had iPad, Mac portables, Mac desktops. They were ending up facing a battle for management's attention. And I think when you look at those three categories, the iPad seemed to have the clear advantage in that battle, at least when it came to capturing mindshare among Apple's management team. Recall Tim Cook's comment about the iPad being the clearest expression of Apple's vision of the future of personal computing. That's a pretty bold statement. You didn't really hear Apple management say something like that when it came to a Mac laptop or a Mac desktop. Over the past two years, we received clues that a major change was beginning to take hold in Apple's product strategy. I would say that this change really started to kick off at the end of 2016. And that's very crucial here because this was not something that Apple just announced. This change that I'm seeing, it didn't just take place. It's not that iPhone sales slowed in China at the end of 2018, and so Apple rethought its product strategy. That is not what's going on here. And as we will talk about shortly, I don't think this really has anything to do directly with the iPhone losing sales momentum. And in reality, when you take a look at what is actually going on with iPhone demand, go beyond just that revenue number that Apple is reporting, I do think you see some stabilization coming into the iPhone picture. So this is not about what just took place with Apple's business from a sales perspective. This is a multi-year trend that I think we only now are really starting to see and get a complete handle on. And that's why I think when you look at this year's WWDC, this product strategy change it was on display. And I don't think we necessarily saw this during last year's WWDC. Consider the following announcements. Apple Watch. 
So we have the Apple Watch continuing to gradually gain independence from iOS and the iPhone. Apple announced that the Apple Watch is getting its own app store and the ability to create watch OS apps without an iPhone app. We had iPad OS. That's a promise. It's a promise from Apple that iPad will be given unique software features versus the iPhone. We can look at features like multitasking and Apple Pencil support. That is going to set iPad apart from its more popular sibling. And of course, we are talking about the iPhone. There's then the new Mac Pro, a machine that is quite stunning when you first see it. And I think it's almost as impressive when you hear it. I was able to hear the Mac Pro essentially running like it normally would. At first, I didn't even think it was running. It was quite a unique experience. The new Mac Pro is clear evidence of Apple industrial design along with engineering and product design attempting to come up with a long-term solution for the most powerful computer in the product line. We have Swift UI. It's the kind of foundation Apple needs to properly leverage a thriving iOS developer ecosystem in order to benefit other product categories. When you take all of those announcements together, and you then look at clues that we've been getting over the past few years, especially when you look at the iPad and the Mac, Apple no longer appears to be relying so much on a pool system when it comes to advancing its product line. Instead, Apple is using a push system. Every major product category is being pushed forward simultaneously. That kind of product strategy change ends up reducing the amount of chaos that used to be found at the end of the rope that Apple was pulling. I think the primary benefactors here arising from this new strategy are the iPad and the Mac. That's why this year's WWDC announcements felt more overwhelming than those of previous years. Apple was able to move its entire product category forward at the same time. This revised strategy ends up supporting a core tenet to my grand unified theory of Apple products, and that is that a product category's design is tied to the role it is meant to play relative to other Apple products. It's a fundamental theory that explains so much of Apple. It's something that I talk about routinely in the daily updates, and we've talked about it in this podcast and over at AboveAllen.com in the weekly articles. The theory seeks to explain how a company selling laptops and desktops moved to selling smartphones and eventually began selling smartwatches. What is going on here? How can a company sell desktops along with smartwatches? I think a lot of people look at that and just think, well, Apple's coming up with products that they think they can make a lot of money from. That's not correct. That's not what's going on here. Instead, we see Apple following a product vision of making technology more personal. 
And when you take a look at each one of these major product categories and the design found with that category, they're all connected to each other. Apple is using design to come up with alternatives, not replacements, to existing product categories. We can look at something like an Apple Watch. It is meant to handle workflows that we used to give iPhones and iPads. In addition, the form factor and the user interface leads to things like Apple Watch handling entirely new workflows. That's one item that really is truly valuable with something like an Apple Watch. And it's not that Apple Watch replaces an iPhone or an iPad, but we're heading to a point where it's going to be a viable alternative for quite a few people. So when we go back to this product strategy change, notice what's going on here. By addressing the chaos that was found at the end of the rope that Apple was pulling, Apple ends up pushing the products geared towards handling the most demanding workflows. That's going to give Apple greater incentive to then push the products capable of making technology more personal and relevant. That's a key part of the grand unified theory of Apple products. And yesterday's Above Avalon Daily Update for members, I went over how there was a really interesting dynamic here in which there had been a hole developing with my theory. I think Apple's addressing that hole. I think that hole is now getting filled with this product strategy change. It's important to go over what isn't happening here. It's not that every product category in Apple's line is now on some kind of equal footing in terms of importance and focus. It's not that every single product is going to get updated at the same time. Apple just doesn't function like that. Some products will receive updates every few years. Others will require more attention due to needing annual updates. I also don't think Apple's revised product strategy is going to change the sales ratios between product categories. Currently, the iPhone is outselling the iPad by four times. The iPad outsells the Mac by more than two to one. Those ratios aren't really going to change from Apple moving from a pull system to a push system. Instead, what's going on here is that each product category is being given a defined and unique role to handle within the Apple ecosystem. Wearables are tasked with handling entirely new workflows in addition to a growing number of workflows that had been given to iPhones and iPads. Again, that was part of the grand UFI theory of Apple products. We look at the iPhone. It's the most powerful camera and video player in our lives. Yes, the iPhone is so much more to hundreds of millions of people. However, when we think about the future and where things are headed, a world where wearables adoption is significant and very likely people are found within wearables ecosystems. So that means that you're not just using one device like an Apple Watch, but you're using multiple wearable devices. That is going to impact the way we use iPhones. There is no question about that. So when thinking about how iPhones can continue to add value, well, I look at things like smarter eyes, 
cameras. Of course, we have smarter brains processors, but I think also the screen, at least over the next couple years, is going to continue to be crucial. That leaves iPads and Macs. I look at those as content creation tools. There are a number of product-related implications arising from Apple's revised product strategy. And what we'll do is start with desktops, move to portables, and then end up going to mobile and then wearable devices. There is no question in my mind that we are in the post-PC era. And when people debate that, I can only laugh. I think what ends up being so confusing here is that a lot of people thought that the post-PC era literally meant that we would no longer use desktops and laptops. Instead, the post-PC era means that we are giving an increasing amount of our attention, our time, replacing an increasing amount of value on new form factors, on smartphones, tablets, and now wearables. When you think of the post-PC era in those terms, it's obvious that that era kicked off years ago. The interesting thing is, despite being in the post-PC era, desktops are experiencing some kind of renaissance. Some of this isn't entirely surprising. The desktop has always been viewed as an antidote to some of the ideals found with mobile. And what that means is, it was pretty easy to envision a world where we're increasingly focused on smartphones or tablets or wearables. But because desktops are so different and they handle some of the most demanding workflows, there will always be a certain need for the machines. However, what is new is this realization of the desktop's role in the augmented reality era. And I think a couple years ago, I don't think that role was clearly defined or even acknowledged to a certain degree. Mac desktops will remain niche in terms of the number of users relative to other Apple product categories, although it's a very powerful and crucial niche. We then turn to Mac portables. It is time that we take Apple management at its word when it says the Mac is important to Apple's future. Mac portables will likely retain a place in Apple's product line for the foreseeable future. If we go back a few years, low-end Mac portables seem to be in a dead-end path thanks to the iPad. There is no longer any evidence that such thinking is widely held among Apple's management team. This is one of a few factors why I think an ARM-based Mac portable seems inevitable at this point. Next up is iPad. Just a few years ago, some in the tech pundit world thought the iPad lacked a future. Such thinking was due to slowing iPad sales at the same time we had larger iPhones being able to handle many of the use cases that were originally given to iPad. The thing is, the iPad has always been viewed as the future of computing within Apple. The difference is we are starting to see that vision truly materialize. Yes, this has been 
a long process. We can go back to when Apple began to push larger iPads at the low end. Of course, we had the move to pro hardware at the high end. And now we see Apple move to push more of a pro layer in terms of software iPad sales are now routinely surprising to the upside, and there's a good chance of that continuing as Apple expands on this pro layer in terms of powerful hardware and software. Turning to the iPad's sibling, the iPhone, the iPhone as a product category continues to mature, and we see that with a longer upgrade cycle. Going forward, The iPhone's role in our life is going to change, and that's because of wearables. As we talked about a few minutes ago, I think the camera and the screen will likely be some of the last value-add features for iPhone. And a case can be made that eventually wearables will even eat some of those workflows. It seems incredibly difficult to see that now but wearables are just so powerful because they make technology more personal it's one of the key themes behind apple's product vision one item that i've felt very strongly about over the past few years and i still do today is that the more value we give to the iphone the more powerful wearables as a product category will become in the future. And that's because I think wearables are positioned so well for handling the less intensive use cases and workflows that we give to iPhone. And we're starting to see some of that today. I think when you look at the Apple Watch in terms of communication, That trend is only going to accelerate going forward. Taking a little bit of a step back when it comes to wearables, Apple is the wearables leader. There is no one close. Fitbit would arguably be the closest from the perspective of unit sales, but even then, Fitbit is quickly losing momentum. Lessons that Apple learned with iPhone and iPad are now giving the company a wearables advantage that I think is at least five years. And we're getting to the point where it may be almost more like five to 10 years. When I make those claims, I'm not just thinking of the Apple Watch. I'm thinking of the broader wearables ecosystem that Apple's building. And what that means is it's not good enough for a company just to come out with a wrist wearable. The company has to come out with a wrist wearable, a solution for wireless headphones, and also come out something in terms of a pair of smart glasses. You can see how difficult that is for any other company not named Apple. I continue to think this is the story in tech. So few people are focused on it. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. We're not going to talk about it in today's episode. I think there's a few reasons why, but We are seeing such advancements from a product perspective. And yet when you look at the press, everyone seems saying, well, we're not in some period of product innovation. We're in some dead period. I just don't agree with that. When we look at what's happening with Apple Watch, an independent Apple Watch that does not require an iPhone to set up is inevitable. 
the move would increase Apple Watch's addressable market by three times overnight. In addition, we continue to see announcements that play a role in Apple establishing this wearables platform as it competes for prime real estate on our wrist, in our ears, and in front of our eyes. The last topic for today, we're going to focus on what I think about this product strategy change in terms of its chances of succeeding. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is Apple making the right product strategy decision moving from a pull-to-push system? It's too early to tell. At first, the revised strategy may seem like a no-brainer. Each product category ends up benefiting from more attention. What can go wrong, some people may think. It's not a given that such a dynamic is in Apple's best long-term interest. The source of my hesitation here is that Apple's long-term success is dependent on one item, making technology more personal. Anything that takes away from that goal ends up being a hurdle. This raises a very important question in my mind. Is Apple supporting legacy workflows to the detriment of Apple's longstanding mission of making technology more personal and relevant? One reason Apple decided to change product strategies in the first place was to avoid an all-out uprising among the 1% of the user base, creating content consumed by the other 99%. This is why this product strategy change started to take off in 2016. That was when Apple held its infamous MacBook Pro event. Shortly after the event, the Pro community within the Mac base really started to turn on Apple. And it wasn't that there was just one issue. And to be completely honest, some of those issues are still ongoing today. It's not that this new Mac Pro evens everything out (laughs) and everything is back to normal. There is still quite a bit of tension in that community. Things are definitely better. They're improved. But I still think there is tension. And when you think about this uprising among the 1% of the Apple user base, The mistake Apple made over the past few years was pulling the product rope too fast and in the process, leaving many of its pro users, defined by the workflows needed to be supported, behind. For a company that is resource constrained when it comes to time and attention, there is no guarantee that Apple's functional organizational structure and design-led culture can realistically scale to push an endless number of product categories at the same time. That was a key benefit found with Apple's pool system. The focus was to advance the products capable of making technology more personal and relevant while trying to bring as much of the broader product portfolio along for the ride. This is where I got the title for today's episode, Letting Go of the Rope. There is a stretch there where if you're the Mac, if you're the iPad, you really had to be holding on tight to that rope that Apple's pulling. 
because there was a risk, a genuine risk of just being let go. And I think a very good argument can be made that the Mac Pro, that was the one product category that probably did let go of the rope. Apple went back, grabbed its hand, (laughs) and we now see it part of Apple's push system. I think it is fair to wonder what else would have been letting go of the rope. Would Mac Portables have been the next item? It's possible. In my opinion, that's where this product strategy change truly got its start. Where Apple looked at this situation and said, we need to come up with a better way here. Because if we lose that 1% of the user base who relies on these pro machines, and again, we're talking about the types of workflows handled by those machines, we're going to have a problem. The move to a push system for product strategy is inherently more complex. Apple finds itself doing a whole lot more than it did just a few years ago. Some will push back at the claim that Apple is resource constrained, considering the company has $113 billion of net cash in the balance sheet. For a lot of people, having that much cash means that Apple can buy all of the resources that they need. Simply put, I don't agree with that. I don't think such a view takes into account how Apple functions. We can look at the Mac Pro as an example. Apple could have thrown together some components in a big box and shipped a new Mac Pro shortly after realizing that the previous Mac Pro design was a dead end. So Apple could have done something by the end of 2017. If you took a look at the tech pundit world at the time, quite a few people believed that. They did not see the point of Apple focusing so much on the Mac Pro. Instead, they could just do something real quick, don't make a big deal about this, and move on. Apple did the opposite. Apple's industrial designers, working in close collaboration with various teams, took a little over two and a half years to come up with what is marketed as a long-term solution for handling the most demanding content creation workflows. We have similar questions now plaguing Apple pertaining to its approach to Pro Mac portables. Some people saying, you know what, Apple? Just do what you were doing. Go back a few years. Just take those old designs and ship them again. I don't see Apple doing that. And I don't think that's the right strategy going forward. It's not enough just to say, well, we're going to hire more people, we're going to acquire more assets, and we could do a whole lot more. At the end of the day, Apple has a limited amount of time and attention. We could look at Apple Industrial Designers. We can look at Apple's senior executive team. Those limitations aren't going to go away in the future. And that's one reason why I think moving from this pull-to-push system ends up being quite challenging for Apple. My concerns regarding Apple's revised product strategy would be alleviated if Apple came up with a plan to push legacy platforms forward by doubling down on future initiatives involving making technology more personal. This is one reason why SwiftUI is so intriguing. Apple is positioning SwiftUI as a way to improve a developer's productivity by requiring less code, resulting in better code. What if that is only scratching the surface as to Apple's ultimate objective here? 
what if the Mac is being repositioned as an augmented reality creation platform? Meanwhile, you have iOS gradually positioned as a platform for developing wearables apps. Using a billion iPhones to develop apps consumed on billions of wearable devices is a type of goal that would require years of work, foundation building, and periodic changes to product strategy. What would be an example of one of those changes to product strategy? Apple shifting from a pull to push system. That's going to do it for today's episode. Given today's subject, I did want to point out that for those of you who are interested in Apple's product vision and my grand unified theory of Apple products, I recently published an above Avalon report titled Product Vision, How Apple Thinks About the World. This report is available exclusively to above Avalon members. It's a 4,200 word examination into Apple's product vision and the principles and values that Apple relies on when determining which tools to create. I'll include a link to that report in the show notes. In addition, I did want to point out that yesterday's daily update that went out to members was sort of a continuation of today's discussion. And so we looked at how this change from a pull to push system ultimately addressed the whole that was in my grand unified theory of Apple products. In addition, I revisited my thesis of the Mac being Apple's Achilles heel. So given all that's happened with the Mac since I published that article a few years back, what's changed? Is the Mac still Apple's Achilles heel? Again, I'll include a link to that daily update in the show notes as well. If you enjoy the analysis that is found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, and you want more of it throughout the week, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily email about Apple. They're called Daily Updates. Each one is 2,000 words and covers three stories. Daily Updates include my thoughts on perspective on Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings, financial estimates, current news, Apple competitors, events in the industry. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. And the thing that I like about these daily updates is that everything we talk about ultimately is based on Apple's perspective. In my view, That leads to the most accurate Apple analysis versus doing it the other way around in which you focus on the tech industry and then just talk about Apple along with every other company. I don't think that is the best approach. I think that often leads people down the wrong path. Instead, I focus on Apple and then look out and analyze the tech industry. For more information on Above Avalon membership and to become a member All you have to do is go to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. I haven't made a formal announcement about this yet, but I think this podcast episode is a good time to give an early announcement. Above Avalon now accepts Apple Pay. 
so you can become an Above Avalon member in probably two or three seconds. <laughs> While the daily updates represent the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership, members also have privileges and benefits that include access to my earnings model at no additional costs. You also get access to those exclusive reports at no additional costs, access to the Above Avalon forum, the Above Avalon archive, you also receive the weekly articles via email and a few other items. So again, all of that information is available over at AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So for those of you who are already Above Avalon members, thank you. For those of you who are thinking about or planning to become Above Avalon members, thank you in advance. If you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a rating or review for the podcast in Apple's podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. All you have to do is go to the Above Avalon page within the app and then scroll all the way down. You'll see an area where you can either tap to rate or write a review. Along with sharing episodes of others, leaving a review is one way of helping spread the word of mouth when it comes to the Above Avalon podcast. So thank you in advance. With that, it will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.